Welcome back, everyone, to the Creative Collision Podcast. This is Saeed here. On this podcast, I'm going to recap episodes um, seven and eight of the Last Dance documentary, and then I'm going to um, continue my my list of the top ten players per position in the NBA. Um, I already did point guards and shooting guards. On uh, on this episode, I'm going to do my top ten small forwards of all time. Um, so let's begin with the with the last dance episode set um, seven and eight. Um, it just keeps on getting better. It just keeps on like getting more intriguing. Um, just learning so much more and and just uh, getting so much more out of um, out of Jordan and and just seeing how he really was. So um, yeah, I mean it's it's been it's been a, a joy to watch this this documentary every week. Um, episode seven, you get into, you start to see Jordan Moore in, in practice in that 97, 98 season. And, uh, and then I think, I think this, this last two episodes here, you probably got more footage from that, that season than, uh, all the previous episodes combined almost, you know? Um, so you, you see really, you hear all the stories, I'm sure a lot of people have heard all the stories about how how hard he was on his teammates, and you know I've heard that story before about him and Steve Kerr, him punching Steve Kerr in the face. Um, but it's it's cool to see um, both of them, Steve Kerr and Michael Jordan, talk about it on the documentary. Uh, one thing I didn't know about that story was that Steve Kerr was basically the one that that instigated it uh, with MJ. Um, that he kind of started it by like elbowing him in the chest or hitting him in the chest. And then Jordan retaliate, retaliated by punching Steve Kerr in the eye. Um, so that was interesting there to hear, um, how it, how it really went down and the fact that Steve Kerr, you know, started it, but he stood up for himself. Um, he, you know, even though he was a, a smaller guy and, and, uh, and, you know, not like one of the best players, you know, he wasn't Pippen or Rodman or, I mean, he was, he was a key contributor on those, those that second three peat, but, you know, he wasn't one of the top guys. Um, but, you know, seeing how he still didn't back down and stood up for himself and, and, uh, that earned Jordan's respect. And then Jordan really saw that Steve Kerr was really, uh, you know, he was really, you know, ready for, for battle and, and he can trust him in the playoffs. And, um, we'll probably see in the next episode where Steve Kerr makes that big three. Um, I I forgot what finals it was, but Steve Kerr hits a big three in the finals and, uh, and, uh, Jordan, you know, trusted him in those situations. So really, you know, really, really cool to see all that. And, um, just the way he talked to Scott Burrell, man. Um, yeah, just the way he pretty much bullied Scott Burrell. That was that was really that was really something to watch. That's that's when you really got to see how he really was in practice. You know, he's calling him like a bitch and and uh, a hoe, and you know, you can't make a layup and and just him you know Jordan just constantly bullying him and, and getting on him 
And in his ways, it's a way to make them stronger, you know. And you can't argue against the results, you know. It, I think uh, this is what Jordan was really talking about when before this documentary aired. He went out and said that, uh, I don't know, people are going to like me after this, you know. And I think he really was really talking about these last couple episodes here where where you really see how he he was and how he talked to his teammates. And uh, I still think he comes out looking, you know, he comes out looking good as far as because it comes from a real place. It, it's not, he's not bullying for the sake of bullying. He's, he's being hard on his teammates for the, for, because he wants to win so bad. And I think he had a great explanation when he, said that he never, you know, he never did, he never asked any of his teammates to do anything he wouldn't do. That's, uh, you know, that says it all right there, you know, it's, it, he's not just bullying and going out, you know, torturing people, basically, like, get, you know, messing with people just because he was like, he's a bad person or he's not a good guy, just some, it's not because of that, he's doing it because, he wants to win so bad, and he got emotional at the end there, and at the end of episode seven, uh, saying like, you know, you never won anything, you know, you can't get on me because you never won anything, and, you know, you can't argue with that, you can't argue with those results, for sure, um, I mean, it worked, you know, it worked for, it, it helped them, it won them six championships, and at the end of the day, you can't, you can't argue with those results, um, I want to bring up the exact quote he said, let me look up the exact exact quote he had here, but it it comes across as him being you know being a jerk or whatever, but it you know it it worked. It won. He won. You know, this is what he says. That's on people who criticize his tactics. He says that's you because you never won anything. You know, you can't criticize me if you never won anything, and and there. That was, there are multiple ways to, to lead, you know, it, it, the Jordan way is not the only way to be a leader, you know, Magic won championships leading a different way, um, but being more of a team oriented, like, kind of buddy, buddy guy, like LeBron's that way, where, uh, I know he's more like, you know, build these relationships through friendships and being close to your teammates, having like a really good camaraderie and camaraderie and being friends and, and, uh, you know, trying to help each other out that way. While Jordan and Jordan and Kobe were their way of leadership is I'm going to be hard on you. I'm going to be tough with you. Um, I'm going to talk shit to you, you know, and if it works, it works and you can't argue with the results. And for Jordan, it, it won him six championships being this type of person and he was real about it. He was backing it up with his work ethic and he, you know, and he would only do it to people that he felt needed it. You know, he wasn't just doing this with everybody. You know, he, he wasn't doing this with Scotty or Rodman or, you know, there's certain other teammates. He just wasn't, he wasn't doing that with because he, he knew he can trust those people already. He knew those people are already, you know, been in those situations, like, you know, Dennis Rodman had already been a champion, he didn't have to, he knew Rodman was tough, of course, you know, 
he knew Pippin was, you know, he already won with Pippin. Um, so that's what he says in the documentary as well. Is like, well, by that 95-96 that season, you know, there's a lot of new teammates that weren't with them the first time around when they won um, the first three championships. There's really only like a couple people still there um, from the from the first repeat, you know, Scotty. Um, and I, I mean, by that time, BJ Armstrong was gone. Horace Grant went to the Magic. So a lot of the key guys were gone. It was just really Scotty Pippen. Uh, so Steve Kerr, you know, Steve Kerr wasn't with those first three championship teams. So that's why Jordan was the way he was with them. And he's like, you know, you weren't with me in those battles before then. You weren't with me in those wars and those times I was those times I was losing to the Pistons and, and then finally breaking through and beating the Lakers and just getting those free three, first three championships, you know, so I got to see what you're about. And that's the same thing with Scott Burrell. Scott Burrell was in the, with, with them in those previous championship years. And, uh, and you know, he, he, he was like that with certain people only. So, but uh, it just shows how how crazy and how you know the work ethic that Jordan had it really you really get to see that and just see how much he cared about winning and how just you know how obsessed he was with winning and then uh we all we get to the the retirement in 93 uh we get to his dad being murdered um I'm sorry it still sounds a little bit like I still believe that theory a little bit that, you know, it wasn't just a random murder that, that it, it kind of, it sounds like a clean hit. It sounds like some mob shit. Like it sounds like, you know, like this, they said he, he was killed, but he was also, you know, I didn't know that he, I didn't know that he was um, missing for that long. So that was a new thing I learned uh, watching it. That, you know, Jordan's dad, nobody has seen him for like two weeks. So he was missing for two weeks. And then when they found his body, you know, it was what dumped over a river. It just sounds like some mob shit. <laughs> like, you know, and two, I know two, like, I think, what, like two 18-year-old kids, like two black kids were charged with the murder. But, you know, if, if it was some mob shit, then it would, you know, it would they can they, they would have the the power to set up a murder where where you know he can get two guys two kids to do it i don't know you know um you know that little part of little part of me still still uh holds on if that was a possibility that it, it wasn't like a random a random uh murder that it was planned and it, it was he was a uh, Jordan's dad was a target, you know. Um, but I you know I understand, especially watching it, like you know Jordan. You had your dad gets murdered, and then all of a sudden, and the news, the newspaper, and the media is publishing stories and articles, and and uh, and saying that like all oh, did did Jordan have anything to do with his dad being murdered? Was it part of with Jordan's dad murdered because of Jordan's gambling, gambling, uh, problems. Um, and I, I, I see how that, 
So that would really affect Michael Jordan personally, you know, to have your your dad who you you were close with get murdered, and then all and then all of a sudden people are starting to blame you for it, or people are looking at you like you have something to do with it, and that's pretty. That is a pretty fucked up thing to deal with, um, you know. Um, yeah, it, it is still it's still pretty uh, pretty messed up to deal with. Of course, you know you don't want to deal with something like that, and and um, I'm not I don't think Jordan had anything to do with his dad being murdered. I don't think he knew he was. I don't think Jordan knew his dad was going to be murdered. But I do feel like there's still a possibility that his dad was a target. Um, that it wasn't just a random occurrence. So. Um, a little, a little bit. A part of me still, still see that that might have been the case as well. So, but still, like it, it led, you know, his dad being murdered and and all the, basically the the workload up to that point with the three straight, the three straight championships, um, all led him to retiring from the NBA. Um, David Stern, David Stern, talks about the whole that theory too about. Jordan being suspended by the NBA, he didn't really retire, didn't want to retire, that David Stern pushed him out of the league. That one I don't believe at all because, I mean, David Stern, like they said in the doc, like David Stern is, um, no, you know, this capitalist businessman. Why would he want his number one his number one uh, money maker and you know, the person that brings in the most money for the NBA at the time, Michael Jordan, why would he not want him in the league? You know, because um, obviously, you know, it, it hurt Jordan not being there, hurt ratings and ticket sales and all that stuff. Right. So I think, I think what David Stern might've done is, or what he was going to do maybe is maybe suspend Michael Jordan for like five or 10 games. And, and just because David Stern felt like he had to do something, you know, um, cause he's also trying to protect the NBA's image as well. So trying to show that no player is bigger than the league. So he might've suspended Jordan for like maybe five or 10 games or something. And Jordan might've found out that he was going to get suspended for like a short period of time, nothing too crazy. And then he's like, well, I don't want to be embarrassed because I don't think Jordan cared about getting suspended. It's just the reason for it. Like, not now the whole world knows that I guess, you know, I got suspended for gambling. So I can see why, um, why that might have been the case. Like, well, instead of getting suspended for, you know, whatever, I'm just going to retire and walk away without people knowing that. So that I can possibly see, but there's no way I think David Stern told him to go away from 18 months. There's no way David Stern suspended Jordan for 18 months. That's way too long. Um, and, um, and yeah, I don't, I don't think that was the case. I do think, um, it's a little bit of everything. It's a combination of a lot of things, combination of his dad being murdered, combination of the workload, um, that, you know, all the, all the, stress up to that point he didn't really have a challenge anymore there was nobody close to him in the league at that point there was nothing there wasn't like that second guy that was right behind him and and you know there was no, he, he was so far and away the best player there wasn't really a challenge anymore so I think it was a combination of all those things that led him to retire in 93 and um play baseball 
and uh the the baseball stuff was cool um nothing new that i learned from it uh, i already knew like I, I knew his stats in his minor league season i knew he played in double a um i knew he worked hard at at trying to get better i knew terry francona was his manager um so I didn't really get a lot of new stuff out of that, but it was still still cool to see some of those scenes of him like practicing baseball and and working at it, and uh, and like uh, I do feel like I mean Terry Francona said that Jerry Reinsdorf says it that if you know he if he hadn't you know another season in the minor leagues he might have got to the majors. And people make fun of Jordan's baseball career, like he was so bad at it. He was, I mean, he wasn't good in Double A, but the fact that the fact that he hit two hundred two, which if you know anything about baseball, it isn't good, but two hundred two for for somebody that hadn't played baseball in over ten years, and and uh, in Double A, you know, in Double A, which is a high. You know, double A is pretty high, uh, minor league system. You know, uh, it's only one level. You know, after double A, you just have triple A. You, you know, and that's only it's only one level above it. Um, and you know, you get there's a lot of players at times that go st- from double A street to the majors. So, so double A is a high, a high level. And for him to, you know, hit two hundred two actually isn't that bad. <laughs> Especially for to hit two hundred two in double A after like ne- after not playing baseball for like over ten years, it's actually not that bad. And you know when Jordan's work ethic, if you if you gave him you know another another year in the minors, I do think I do think he he would have got to the majors. Uh, I don't think he would have been great or anything, but I, I do think he would have he would have been able to contribute on a major league team um, if you if you stayed playing baseball. Uh, just because he he worked so hard and he had that drive and competitive nature, it, he would have found a way for sure. And um, and he studied and he worked hard, so he would have done it. You know, he would have he would have done it. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that was the most of the just the episode seven. Him retiring, his dad being murdered. I'm um, him playing baseball. Then episode eight, we see him come back. Um, also in episode seven, we see the Bulls without Jordan. That 93-94 season, they had a good year. You know, they went 55-27. and 27. It's only two less wins than the previous year. Um, but then we, you know, we see Scottie Pippen um, not want to come into the game when, when he wasn't going to get the last shot. And... Yeah, it's not a good look for Pippen in that situation. Um, Pippen has had some moments where he definitely doesn't look good. They did a good job of showing, you know, Pippen's point of view in the first two episodes where we see his, you know, we feel sympathetic for him because we see him growing up. He has, you know, two people in his household that were in wheelchairs, his dad had a stroke, he had a brother who had an injury in school, and so, you know, he's one of, like, he has, like, 12 other siblings or something like that, so we see his, his struggle, and we grow to sympathize with him, but then, as the 
documentary has gone on, we've, we've seen certain situations where he just didn't handle things the right way. And you know, we felt bad for him with that contract. Um, but, you know, he, you're just, you know, that 98 season, him choosing to have surgery, surgery late and, and it's basically, basically sitting down for half of that season, wanting to get traded. Um, that's not a good look. That wasn't a good look for him. And then um, 93, 94 season in the playoffs, him sitting down and kind of quitting on his team because he wasn't going to get the last shot. And that's definitely, you know, that that's not a good look as well. And then you, he talks, he says he doesn't regret it either, you know, or he says he, he regrets it, but I think he said, I wouldn't change a thing if I were to do it all over again. So I don't really get that. I don't know how you can regret it, but still not want to change a thing about it. I don't know, but it's not a good look for him. I understand why he might've been mad in that moment, of course, because you're thinking like, you know, I'm finally the guy here. I've been the second, the second option. The, I've been playing the, I've been a really good Robin to Jordan's Batman for for several years now, and he's gone, and it's finally my team, and he deserves like the opportunity to to show that you know he can be that guy and hit a clutch shot and make a game winner, and you know I can see why he was mad at that moment, but you still don't just quit on your team like that and choose to not come into the game, and uh, the fact is you know. Um, Phil Jackson made the right call. You know, uh, Tony Kukoc was a better shooter than Scotty, and it worked. You know, Kukoc made the shot. He made the game winner. Um, and again, it kind of shows how good of a coach Phil Jackson truly was. It wasn't just about having the best players all the time. It, you know, he had good strategies and he had a good, he had a good, really good coaching moments and things like that, where it wasn't just about because he had all the best players all the time. And he made the right call there by giving the ball to Kukoc, and Kukoc made that shot. He came through for him, so, for the team, so. Um, it wasn't a good look for Scotty. Um, I understand why he was mad, but, it was, again, it wasn't a good look for him you, to just quit on the team like that and not come back into the game and, they had that meeting and Bill Cartwright was in tears, you know, so I think Scotty has in in certain moments for sure he's he's looked bad in certain situations. Um so he's had his moments. He's definitely had his moments to show that he, he made some bad choices and he messed up a couple of times, even though uh, even though we still recognize him as one of the greatest small forwards of all time and and definitely like the best number two Jordan could ever have and and we see how important he was I do think this documentary has showed how important Scotty truly was um you know going back to the very beginning where Jordan said I don't win those six championships without Scotty so so we do know his value and we see his value um but we also see you know his his mishaps and his mistakes as well so <clears throat> yeah, so episode eight, Jordan comes back. They, you know, he had the double nickel game against the Knicks, just like five games back. Um, comes back wearing the four or five. Not come back like Jordan wearing the four or five. I hate to play games at you, you know, that whole line right there. 
They'll drop that real quick. Um, and then we see them lose to the Magic, a young Shaq and Penny. Um, yeah, yeah he, he, they actually showed Jordan having a, a choke moment there in game one of uh, the, the Magic series where Nick Anderson steals the ball from behind. So, and then Jordan, like, throwing the ball out of bounds uh, on the last play. So, we see Jordan's actually human that he can lose. And uh, and he actually lost a playoff series to the Magic, you know. And I actually looked at those stats, too. And Jordan actually played played good. He was, it wasn't, it wasn't, they didn't lose really because he played bad. He still averaged, like, 31 points a game in that series. He shot, like, 48%. I I think the I wish they would have talked about it in the in the episode more. I don't think the reason why the Bulls lost that series is because Jordan was like rusty and wasn't in the best shape. That was part of it, you know. That was part of it. But I think the the big thing was Horace Grant going to the Magic. Um, Horace Grant had like a great series um, that and and that uh, that playoff series. He averaged like eighteen and ten. He shot like sixty percent. Um, that was the that was actually the big difference. Um, Horace Grant was no longer with the Bulls. They didn't have a, that that rebounding defensive power forward. Dennis Rodman wasn't there yet, so I just think the Magic were the better team that year. The Bulls weren't that good that year. In fact, when like when Jordan came back that that second season, the Bulls were only thirty four and thirty one, so they were barely like above five hundred. They're an average team, and even with Jordan being back, um, and Jordan played well Jordan did play well in that series it still wasn't enough because I, I just don't think they had the rebounding and the defense um that they had w- without Horace Grant being there and then and uh not having Dennis Rodman yet so they were just they were just missing that third guy at that time um so yeah the the mad they lose to the magic um <coughs> Um, Jordan comes back the next year. He's extra motivated. He's, you know, he's on the set of uh, Space Jam, working out with a bunch of NBA players in the off season, just getting back and getting his game back. They go that that next season, seventy two and ten, the famous seventy two and ten season. Um, go to the finals against the Sonics, and. Uh, and uh, um, yeah, beat the Sonics in six games. Um, <laughs> we see how Jordan's reaction to Gary Payton saying that you know Gary Payton saying that you know if he if he would have been on Jordan earlier he he might have had a chance and that and Gary Payton the glove was tiring them out. Um, Jordan just laughing at that, laughing at Gary Payton like oh, he wasn't no problem. He's like the glove. Yeah, the glove wasn't no problem for me. And you know, he had other things on his mind and and uh his you know, his dad passing away. Father's Day was was uh coming up and and uh he won that that uh that game six was on Father's Day, so um Yeah, Jordan doesn't want to give anybody credit, man. <laughs> and Gary Payton's great. Gary Payton's arguably the greatest defensive point guard of all time um and he just didn't want to give him any credit he just laughed and uh you know Gary Payton deserves some credit Uh, well I'm gonna defend Gary Payton a little bit on this one he was he was defensive player of the year that season and 
you look at Jordan's Jordan's uh, box score, his stats in that playoff series, in that NBA final series, that was, that's easily probably Jordan's worst finals from a um, individual standpoint. You know, he, he just didn't shoot well. He shot like, I think he shot like maybe 40% in that series. Uh, nobody on the Bulls shot well, though. Everybody shot bad. Nobody really, nobody really played that well in that series, actually, when you look at the um the numbers in that series he averaged 27 points a game on like 40 percent shooting so gary Payne definitely like you know deserves some credit for defending jordan he he you know he was the best the best defender against jordan in that whole run you know um he he you know he affected him a little bit and you know jordan i think definitely he just doesn't want to give him any props, and he he doesn't want to give anybody anything. So, so it's just it just. But that's another reason what makes him so great. Like he just doesn't want to give credit to to anybody, <laughs> uh, any opposing player, you know. Um, and uh, it's another one of those, just another player, a great player in that time that that feels like uh, you know they they did something against Jordan, and Jordan just doesn't want. To want to give them any respect any credit um it's just so petty it's funny it's really funny to watch um so yeah um i guess we'll just wrap wrap it up on the recap uh, right here great episodes uh keeps getting better and better great moments you we're starting to you know we, we just keep seeing more and more and learning more and more and and seeing how he was as a team as a teammate and that was uh that was just great stuff this is like the 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 stuff that you've always hear you know you you've always heard these stories and and how he was and how you know how hard he was as a teammate how how much he cared about winning his work ethic and these last couple of episodes we've really been able to see a lot of that firsthand in his documentary so uh yeah just it's continuing to to be so interesting and intriguing and and I'm just so into it every week, every uh, every Sunday. So a little sad that we're only going to get one more weekend of this. There are only two episodes left. And I wish there was like 10 more. Uh, I can keep I can keep watching this like all day. You know, I wish I wish we were getting more, um, especially during this quarantine time, because it's like like it was something that's, you know, here and and something to look forward to. So uh, only one week left. Uh um, I'm sure it's gonna end great, and and uh, and uh, it's gonna be, you know, some good stuff to look forward to still in these uh, last two episodes. So that's my recap for episode seven and eight of the documentary, and uh, now let's move it on to the the next topic here. All right, now I'm gonna um, do my top ten small fours of all time uh, list here, continuing with my. Top 10 players per position that I've been inspired to do because of this uh, documentary. Um, so let's get it. Top 10 small forwards actually is pretty easy. I, I filled out this list pretty easy. Um, not too much thinking. Um, There's just a little bit of thinking on the rankings and uh, who maybe that last spot, my number 10 spot was uh, I was trying to decide between uh, between like three other people. Um, I had in that 10 spot and, uh, and then, 
And then later on in the list, I have uh, a little bit of, I had a little bit of debate between two people, two players that um, I had as who should be ahead of who. So that was, that was really my only, my only, uh, um, I guess my only uh, debates with myself about, about the list. Um, So number 10, um, I put Paul Pierce at number 10. Uh, so, so number 10, I had, I was really thinking I've had about three people fighting for that 10 spot. I was, it was between Pierce, Kawhi Leonard and, um, James Worthy. actually four people, James Worthy and Adrian Dantley. Um, <laughs> I think part of me just didn't want to put Pierce in it <laughs> because I, I just hate Pierce and the Celtics and and I just hate that old eight Celtics team for not just because it beat the Lakers um I mean obviously that's part of it but the fact that they they milked that championship man that whole eight team Paul Pierce the way Paul Pierce and like Kevin Garnett and like um and well mostly just those two uh you know old Danny Ainge as well as as a GM of that team the way they talk about that championship, Kendrick Perkins is another one. Like we're, you know, they talk about that championship like they won, like like they had a dynasty. You know, they they talk about that era of Celtics teams from like oh oh eight to from oh eight to two thousand twelve, like that four or five year run they had. They act as if they won like three championships, and they've only they only won one in that in that uh, stretch with the big three wick. Pierce, KG, and uh, Ray Allen, and and that's what just annoys me about that team. They milked that one championship like it's the '80 Celtics, you know, or or like even like the Bad Boy Pistons had more success than that team, and and uh, and uh, they, you know, it's for a team that only won one championship, they really fucking talk about that that ring you know, that year so much. So, you know, it, it, it's what annoys me about that, that Celtics team, um, that era of Celtics teams, especially, um, that run. So part of me, just didn't want to put Pierce because of that. <laughs> and he's so bad on TV as well. So it's, that's another thing that just like, uh, he's so, you know, he's just so bad that, uh, cringy at times, you know, but again, I'm being objective. I got to look at it from all perspectives. And Pierce did, you know, he 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 has a finals MVP on his resume. Um, you know, he has a lot of clutch moments. He he's like the what he he's the all-time leader right in points by from a Celtic. Um yeah, yeah, he is all-time leader in and uh scoring and Celtics history, which is a big deal. It is, you know, he is Celtics have one of the greatest franchises. It is, you know, right there with the Lakers as uh, the greatest NBA franchise uh, with so many historical players. And the fact that Paul Pierce actually, actually leads the Celtics in a category and scoring, especially, um, which is probably the best thing you can lead a franchise in all time to be their all time leading scorer. The fact that he, he scored more points in a Celtics uniform than any player is. It is a big deal. So I got to get him credit for that. Um, 
course, multiple time All Star and and uh, all that as well. So um, yeah, I have him at number ten. I I really thought about Kawhi Leonard. I do think Kawhi Leonard is pretty close to ready. So I think Kawhi Leonard is a better player than Pierce already. Um, he just needs to probably have a couple more years and and more uh, just a couple more seasons really because. Kawhi Leonard has already won more championships than Pierce. He's has two Finals MVPs. He's already had the playoff success, more playoff success than Pierce are, ever had already. So um, Kawhi just basically just has to add on to his legacy a little bit. But um, yeah, I thought about I really thought about Kawhi. Um, I thought about James Worthy, but um, after really looking at James Worthy's numbers, um, I was like, eh. I know he, you know, he has three championships, a Finals MVP on his resume. Um, but you know, other than that, you know, Worthy, and you know, it's hard to say that because he's a Laker, and he was he was great. Um, but he, you know, he didn't really have the longevity like that. Um, he doesn't really have the numbers that really like pop off the screen. I know. You know he was he got the luxury of getting drafted to the Lakers, so he didn't have to like put up these big scoring numbers. He wasn't relied upon to be the number one option. Uh, but he, you know even when he kind of be, did become the number one option towards the end of the '80s and the early '90s, after Kareem retired and um, and Magic was starting to get a little bit older, um, and at that time you know you expect Worthy to really take over. Like, okay, you're the best player now. And he just didn't really have like great those great like MVP level type of seasons, and uh, these other players did, you know. And so that was it was tough to leave Worthy out. Um, and then I also thought about Adrian Dantley because um, a lot of people don't really know much about Adrian Dantley, but he was a great scorer. He had some scoring titles, I believe, um, on his resume. So so he. He was really efficient too as a scorer. Um, had a lot of great moments. So, yeah, that was that was another one where where uh, I thought about. But I just settled with Pierce. Pierce had the longevity. He was consistently, you know, around twenty five points a game for for his prime. Um, had the ring. Had the Finals MVP. So I swallowed my pride and put Paul Pierce at number ten. Um. And number nine, let me see this. I want to make sure. Yeah, Adrian Dantley did lead the league. Uh, this is something I didn't know. I looked up Adrian Dantley's numbers. He had four straight years. We averaged 30 points per game. That's pretty impressive from 81 to 84. And uh, won two scoring titles in that stretch. So, yeah, I'm almost putting my head up Pierce because... Uh, because of his scoring prowess and efficiency, and he did, you know, he he ever he shot fifty four percent for his career, so he scored thirty points a game efficiently. So, um, so I thought about it. I thought about it, but uh, but the ring, he doesn't have a ring, and he and um, man, that gave that gave Pierce the edge there. <clears throat> yeah, number nine, I had Dominique Wilkins, um, Neek. Nika again, he didn't win championship either, so I know kind of like, and you just, I just said how Adrian Dantley, I didn't really put him on because he doesn't have that ring, um, and Pierce did, and now I'm kind of contradicting it by putting Nika at nine. 
but I just think Nick uh, Dominique Wilkins was so big for the game. He's he was such a important figure in the '80s. He similar to Adrian Dantley, where he he just had these great scoring seasons. Um, not a lot of winning in there, but it just put up great numbers. And, and I think Adrian Dantley, you know, had better supporting cast around him, especially once he went to Detroit. And Nick was the guy in Atlanta for his whole career. You know, um, he had made be uh, the nine-time All-Star, seven-time All-NBA. Does have a scoring title in there. Um, you know, had the moments with the slam dunk champion moments. You know, the battles with Jordan. Um, has 24.8 points per game. Career scoring average is really good. He's one of the few guys to um, tear his Achilles and come back and still be a great player. Uh, it looks like I think the year after he tore his Achilles, he came back and, and averaged and uh, and averaged uh, 20 points a game still. Yeah. And, and played well, you know. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what year it was, but but he's he. I know I know he's one of the the very few guys to tear his Achilles and still be be a good player and still continue to play for a couple more years after that. So, um, yeah, Dominique Wilkins at at uh, number nine. At number eight, I put uh, uh Rick Rick Barry. Um, Rick Barry. Um, 1975 champion with the with the Warriors, uh, one of the great scorers in his day. Um, started with the ABA. Well, actually, he started with the NBA. Then he went to the ABA. They came back to the in the NBA. Um, but uh, yeah, had a had a 35 point per game season early on. So he has one of the highest scoring seasons in NBA history. Uh, one of the great scorers of his time. Finals MVP champion in '75, 12-time All-Star, um, probably best known for shooting those underhanded free throws, right? But he he had worked for him. He wasn't ashamed of shooting free throws like that. And he you know he shot 90% basically for his career. Led the league in free throw percentage like about six years. He led the league in free throw percentage. Um, yeah, and he was great in that '75 Finals. That seventy-five uh, finals, he put up some some um, gaudy numbers there, and that ring, that ring season, um, put up big big scoring numbers. So yeah, Rick Barry, kind of forgotten about a little bit because he played so long ago. But uh, yeah, Rick Barry at a uh, number number eight, number seven, another guy that gets overlooked at times uh, because he plays on such a historically great franchise, uh, John Havlicek. Uh, he just just passed away not too long ago, if I remember correctly. I think it might have been last year sometime. He passed away. Um, yeah, he died in 2019. Uh, John Havlicek, one of the great all-time great Celtics, gets overlooked because he's kind of in between the 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 dynasty years of the 60s and the Larry Bird years of the 80s. So he's like the the great player in between those seasons. Those those two like. Um, those two uh, dynasty eras of the 60s and 80s the Celtics had with Bird and Russell. But he, um, he I mean, he, he was on a lot of those 60 teams, so he did win eight championships. He, um, he, he started in 62, 63, played all the way to 78, so he had a long career, entire career with Boston. Uh, I think he was the all-time leading scorer 
until Paul Pierce broke uh, broke his scoring his scoring record with the the Celtics for most points in uh, franchise history. So he, you know, he had that, and uh, yeah, eight championships, eleven All NBA teams, eight time All Defensive. Does have a Finals MVP on his resume, which is always a big one. With a 1974 Finals MVP. And, uh, yeah, just consistently a great player. 20.8 points per game for his career. Um, and uh, multiple-time champion, Finals MVP. That that gives him a, a lot of... That's a big... That final, I always say Finals MVPs are just a big, big um, boost to your, to your legacy. Um, being the best player on a championship team always... It's always a big deal. So, uh, yeah, Hondo at number seven. At number six, Scottie Pippen at number six. I'm not going to talk too much about it because we've seen a lot about Pippen on the documentary. Uh, we, we've seen a lot of his resume. Six-time champion, uh, we already know. Second best player on uh, six championship teams. One of the greatest, arguably... The greatest defensive player of all time. You can make that argument, especially for, for a small forward, for a wing player. Um, just does it all. Great all-around player. Twenty about twenty points per game in his prime. You know, it will give you like seven, eight assists, seven, eight rebounds, all-around point forward. Great, all-time great defensive player. Um, so yeah, Pippen at number six. Uh, number five had Elgin Baylor. Um, another guy, kind of another guy that's in that same class where with Havlicek and and uh, and like Rick Barry, guys that played in the '60s and '70s that uh, get overlooked at times. Um, so Elgin Baylor gets overlooked because he played on the Lakers. Um, and there's so many other great players on the Lakers historically. So yeah, similar to John Havlicek, where he's this all-time great player. That played on a all-time great, you know, franchise um, that gets overlooked at times. Baylor gets overlooked because he he didn't win a championship with the Lakers while he was on the team. He was part of those sixty teams with Jerry West that lost in the finals like every year to the Celtics. Um, and then by the time they finally broke through in nineteen seventy-two, uh, Elgin Baylor had retired, um, so he wasn't on that team anymore. So. Um, so yeah, he gets, I guess he gets overlooked because of that, but was really like the Michael Jordan of the sixties. He's one of the first great, like in the air athletes, athletic guys that could jump and, and got to the rim, make a score at the rim. You know, it's kind of like Elgin Baylor was that guy in the sixties and Dr. J was that guy in the seventies. And then in the eighties when MJ came, he just took, he basically took that whole aerial attack that like. Julius Irving was known for, and um, Elgin Baylor was known for, and just took it to a whole another level. So he was one of the first athletic guys like that that can basically, you know, dunk on you or just had this great body control and make these crazy layups, um, especially for that era, you know. Um, so great scorer, great scorer. Had a season where he averaged 38 points a game, uh, prolific scorer great player um just unfortunately wasn't able to break through and win a championship in the and uh in those seasons 
But I don't definitely don't want to overlook him. I want to give him a lot of credit for the numbers he put up in his era. So, 10-time All-NBA, 11-time All-Star. Um, yeah, had had uh, one of the highest scoring averages in NBA history, 27.4 points per game. Uh, and that's, that's one of the highest scoring averages ever. So, yeah, Elgin Baylor. Shout out to Elgin Baylor, who's still with us. And, and uh, you know, hope he's doing well. And... And, uh, and yeah, one of the all-time great Lakers that gets overlooked at times here. So, Alden Baylor at number five. And so, this is part of the list here where I had a little bit of a, I had to think this one, um, I had to debate this about between these two players. So, this one might be the one that, so far, everybody's had like a little bit of a, every time, my first two lists with the shooting guards and point guards, there's been certain people that, how can you put this person ahead of this person? And this is probably the situation at this point in the list. So at number four, I have Julius Serving, Dr. J. And number three, I have Kevin Durant. So I'll put Kevin Durant ahead of Dr. J. Um, yeah, Dr. J just great you know just great player one of the you know, one of the greatest players ever one of the most famous players ever um but uh i think i just think durant at this point is a better player and has surpassed dr j um as a player you know dr j if you know if he spent a lot of his time in the aba which kind of hurts some when it comes to this list here and by the time by the time he didn't win a championship with the Sixers in uh, 83, he was no longer the best player on that team. It was Moses Malone's team. So so uh, his one ring in the NBA, he was the second option on that team. And, uh, and uh, Kevin Durant, I know we can look at his two championship rings. And, and yeah, he went to... Uh, already great team in the Golden State Warriors but he did win two rings with them and he was you know he was the best player in both of those series you know I mean you can argue for LeBron was a better best player in, in those series but it's close you know he won the finals MVPs those two years if if Cameron Durant went to the Warriors but like was just kind of there for the ride and and Steph Curry was like the finals MVP um, then I will look at it differently, but the fact that like Kevin Durant is really the reason why the Warriors were able to be LeBron, because it's, let's be honest here. The only reason, the only reason the Warriors wanted KD is to beat LeBron, you know? Um, and, uh, and his numbers in the finals, man, even, even his first finals with the Thunder when he was a young, you know, he was a young, a young Dude in the in the league there with Russell, young Russell Westbrook and James Harden. Um, even though they lost that series to the Heat, to the Big Three Miami Heat, he still averaged like thirty one points a game on like fifty percent shooting. He still put up great numbers and was efficient and and uh, you know he he had a good series even though they lost. Um, and then with the Warriors just putting up this, these great numbers in the finals as well. So I just think Durant's a better player at this point than Julius Irving. And, and uh, he's already accomplished more. They both have, 
They both have MVPs. Durant has the two championships for the two finals MVPs. And uh, I know Irving is one of the most famous and and well-known players. Um, but I just think Durant's better at this point. So, yeah, I put KD. I put KD just ahead of Dr. J. And, uh, and yeah, we'll see how people react to that one. So, um, my top two were pretty easy. My top two... Um, we're LeBron at number one and then Larry Bird at number two. <clears throat> still, I think, I still think it's close. I do think you can argue Bird still ahead of LeBron. I'm not, you know, I, I'm not gonna, uh, argue with somebody that wants to flip flop those two. Um, but yeah, th- these are easily the top two small forwards of all time, in my opinion. Um, yeah, LeBron, uh, you know, we already know about LeBron and what he does. Uh, Larry Bird, for those that don't know too much about Bird, just one of the greatest all-around players ever, man. Just could could score, one of the greatest shooters in NBA history. If you played in today's NBA, uh, he'd just be much more of a a scorer, I think, because he would be shooting more threes, you know. He was one of the few guys that that actually shot threes back in the day, in the 80s, and he he would only shoot maybe one or two a game, Um but he can shoot it, you know, and he would, you know, and he was one of the few guys that was willing to take that shot. So in today's NBA, he's, he's shooting a lot more threes. He was so skilled, such a skilled player. Uh, I think he's one of the most just skilled players in NBA history. You know, had like all the footwork, had all the moves. Uh, and for the dumb people that say he wouldn't play in today's NBA, um, because he was a slow white guy, like don't know shit. I mean, there's slow white guys today. I know Luka Doncic is an American, but he's not as athletic. He's not athletic. Luka Doncic is not a, a a crazy athlete or anything. And look at how he's just dominating today's NBA with just skill and and IQ and just being so you know so skillful, you know. And Bird would be similar to that. And Bird would be just this guy, just that would that would be killing you with his. With his fundamentals and his skill set, you know, the same way like Dirk Nowitzki is kind of a good prototype as well, where Dirk wasn't super athletic, but you know, he was a great shooter. Larry Bird would be Larry Bird in today's NBA would be like a, a better version of Dirk Nowitzki, you know, because they're you know, Bird was tall as well, Bird was 6'10, so he was a 6'10 point forward that you know could average 10 assists a game in today's NBA. Um, and uh, and I, and he was just like a more tougher, trash talking, you know, version of Dirk Nowitzki. You know, Bird, also known for being one of the biggest trash talkers in NBA history, and uh, and uh, he he's definitely somebody that that um, people you know people need to respect Bird's game. You know, and this is coming from a Laker fan, and then uh, and. Uh, somebody that hates the Celtics, but Bird was great. Bird was Bird was a great player. Just look at his, his YouTube, his highlights, YouTube, some of his passing highlights. Great passer. I think he's the second greatest. I, I think he's close to LeBron in his passing ability. Probably the second greatest uh, small forward passer, passer in NBA history to LeBron. Um, and actually, Bird and LeBron are pretty similar as far as their all-around games. <clears throat> I just think Bron's like obviously more athletic and and uh, and that gives him the edge over Bird because especially on the defensive end because Bird 
Bird was tough and and uh, skillful defensively, but he he wasn't you know the greatest defender because of his you know his lack of quickness and things like that. Um, where LeBron LeBron has a foot speed and um, athleticism to guard multiple positions, so I think Bird. And that's why you know LeBron gets the edge over Bird in that def- in the defensive end. Um, but their skills, you know, they're very similar as far as like both are great passers for their size. Um, Bird was a great rebounder, great shooter. Um, so there's some some skills there that are, that are pretty similar as far as they're both like those point forward type of players. So, um, so yeah. Um, that's my list there. I'll go ahead and run through it again. Um, so I have Paul Pierce number 10, Dominique number 9, Dominique Wilkins number 9, number 8, Rick Berry, number 7, John Havlicek, number 6, uh, Scotty Pippen, number 5, Elgin Baylor, number 4, Julius Irving, number 3, Kevin Durant, number 2, Larry Bird, and number 1, LeBron James. So, hope you like that list. Or well, if you don't like it, then tell me who you would have put on the list. And uh, I'll continue with with my power forward rankings. That'll be my next list um, going forward on the next podcast. So, yeah, uh, I'll leave it at that for for this episode. Hope you enjoy. Have a great day. Stay safe and uh, catch you on the next one. Peace.